This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I am your host, Dr. Dan. Our goal and mission at Parent Footprint is to create a loving world with more compassionate people, one parent and one child at a time. The way we believe we do this is that the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us adults to be the same in our own life, to strive for our own happiness, fulfillment, engagement. And we believe that awareness is the key to all this. If we can be aware of ourselves and where we came from, we can choose the footprint that we want to leave for our children and our grandchildren. I am really excited to welcome back to the show Dr. Stuart Schenker. Dr. Stuart has one of our most viewed podcasts, being the self-regulation national and international expert that he is. Uh, Dr. Stewart is a distinguished research professor of psychology and philosophy at New York University and the creator of the Merit Center. He's the former president of the Council of Early Childhood Development. He attended the University of Toronto. He also attended the University of Oxford, where he obtained his doctorate in philosophy with distinction. And he is an expert and advisor to on early development um, around uh, the United States and Canada. And he wrote this amazing book, which I'm holding in my hand, called Self-Reg, How to Help Your Child and You Break the Stress Cycle and Successfully Engage with Life. Dr. Stewart, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for that intro, Dr. Dan. You know, I sit with uh, people all day long, as you do often, too, and I can't tell you how many of um, our clientele talk about your book and uh, bring it in with their highlights and how helpful it has been for outlining um, steps to helping their kids gain control um, and manage regulation. Oh, I just love hearing that. I can't hear it enough. We're going to expound on that today. Today's title... The title of today's show is called Constant Craving, the Self-Reg View. And uh, Dr. Stewart wrote this great piece that I'm going to let him share that leads to the, that, that really is a great lead-in to how we, um, I believe, are all dealing with constant craving in this brave new world that we are experiencing. Let us know no. what happened, Stewart. <laughs> this is one of many, but just... This is a good, as good as any examples I can take from my own children. Uh, a couple of months ago, my son came downstairs and absolutely had to have this pair of fancy running shoes that he'd just seen on the Internet. 
and all the other kids were having, getting them, and they were really expensive. I mean, like, we're talking $500. And Mum and I were both horrified at the price, horrified by the idea of buying something online without even trying it on, uh, and horrified about, you know, giving into an impulse like this. But he was beside himself, literally. So mm-hmm. what we did was we said, okay, we'll, we'll buy these for you, and this will be your Christmas gift. And, of course, what we were doing was rationalizing, giving in to what was a pretty strong state of anxiety in the kid. And Mm -hmm. he was thrilled, rushed upstairs, and uh, um, (laughs) came back down again, actually, within two seconds. We absolutely had to have them shipped the fastest possible express that there was, which was like another hundred bucks. Uh, We said no to that one. (laughs) Oh, good for you. Good for you. Way to put your foot down. Yeah. Well, sort of. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> so the, the shoes come a couple of weeks later, and he's ecstatic opening up the box. And what he did then was he takes pictures of them in the box, and he rushes upstairs, and he sends out pictures, um, I don't know, to all his friends, whatever. And so we were thinking, well, you know, I guess we did the right thing after all. And then about 20 minutes later, he comes back downstairs, and he says he got to have another pair of shoes. So, okay, at this point, now I remember that I'm a psychologist. So I <laughs> <laughs> sort of wanted to figure out, like, what's going on here? Well, mm-hmm. it turned out that the shoes were uh, kind of a little snug. Um, but also, he didn't get that kind of a, a bang that he was looking for. Um, they weren't really mm-hmm. that spectacular. They were just running shoes. But the big thing was that very day, the company selling these shoes had sent around another one of their fancy emails with the latest must-have shoes, and they hooked him again. So uh, he was that, already behind. He was yeah. already outdated. Yeah. Well, um, it, it, it literally the model is called the Hook model, um, and it's everywhere. So what we then started to do was we wanted to understand how does this model work. And more importantly, um, if it's as pervasive as we thought, like, you know, everywhere, everything that kids are encountering uh, is using this hook model, how do we help parents? How can, mm-hmm. because, because this is really tough on everybody and not just on the kid. And you're, you found something, right? You found the magic bullet to cure the hook model, the hook approach to selling. Yeah, so basically, the way this works, and it's, you know, you could choose whatever you want. You can choose running shoes or any kind of clothing. You can choose fast food, sugar. You can choose uh, video games, um, even the little bells and whistles that tell you when an email's come in or a Snapchat. They all work on the same model. Right. And the way the model works is, first, there's a, a trigger, and the trigger sets in motion, it, 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 it creates a surge of something called dopamine. And that's what we study in our neural labs very carefully. Um, dopamine, we need dopamine. Uh, dopamine mm-hmm. is what gets us moving. Dopamine is what gets us to have good relationships, uh, to love, to form strong attachments. Dopamine even helps us think. Um, so dopamine had a function throughout our history And the problem is that if you trigger dopamine, especially if you trigger too much of it, without a release, and that release 
let's say it's physical, like moving, if there's not a release, what it does is it creates anxiety. It creates mm. stress. And what had happened with my son was the, um, the ad, the hook, had created an enormous amount of stress for him. And he had to have the shoes in order to relieve the stress. What he was trying to do was, had nothing to do with the shoe, had nothing to do with the reward. Uh, it was relieving stress. That's what a compulsion is. Mm-hmm. So what we had to figure out was, why, why did this hook work in the first place? How were they able to create this incredibly strong desire? That's the secret in all this. It's not the shoe itself or the game. It's why is my child at risk or vulnerable to such and such a hook? What's, what's, what's mm-hmm. the real issue here, the deep one? That's what we've been looking at. And are you finding something? Because it seems like this is goes beyond. Uh, it I might be that kids and adolescents are the most susceptible, but clearly I see it all the time in um, my clients' lives, my family's lives, our lives as adults, too. It seems like we're all susceptible. You know, Dan, we started to look at this uh, in 2006. Uh, one of those jobs I had that you mentioned, uh, we were looking at, Uh, population records, and we saw back then that um, anxiety was becoming a significant issue in our culture. And Mm -hmm. since that time, it has exploded. As you know, I mean, I read your book. And in 2011, we did a huge study up here in Canada, and we looked at over 100,000 kids, and we found that three-quarters of the teens had serious mm-hmm. problems with anxiety in 58% of, wow. the, of, the, of the, yeah, I know it's, but, but we don't have the data on the young kids, but we know those numbers are exploding, and we know young adults are exploding. So, mm-hmm. what, so what we had to figure out was, um, and this is the point of my book, right, um, why? You know, what's the underlying issue? And the complex issue here is it's, it's stress. Um, you know, a little stress is really good for us, too much stress um, can make us very anxious. And what we found was that uh, we had to break the major stresses that kids are coping with today into five categories, uh, physical, emotional, cognitive, social, and pro-social. And we, you know, we, we spent a bit of time in the book explaining what each of these is. The point here is this. If you just focus on one, if you just focus on the obvious one, like, well, you know, the shoes, it's an emotional stress because the kid wants to feel cool and he associates with the athletes or the rappers in the ad, whatever, then Mm -hmm. you're missing out the other four. What are the physical stresses? What are the cognitive? And so what we find, particularly in kids that really are struggling with anxiety, is it's always all five. It's always, we call them domains of stress. It's always all five. And the domains sort of, they, they amplify each other. They magnitude each other. They magnify each other. So to help the child, um, it's not enough just to say no. It's not enough to say, well, no, you can't have the shoes or you can't, you know, the computer's got to go off now. What we've got to figure out is why is my kid's stress so high in all these domains? Dan, the hardest part of all that we've seen is recognizing the signs of when a kid's stress is too high and then teaching the child, 
even a young child, how to recognize this in themselves. And that's self-regulating in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, a, a few things that I'm trying to put together here from what you said. One is the dopamine without a release yeah. triggers a compulsive a, yeah. a compulsive uh, yeah. behavior cycle, right? So you have this, I have to have it, exactly I have to have right. it, I keep checking, I keep checking, I checking. And then yeah. this other thing that you said, which is, you know, we can't just say no, because that's what a lot of us do. Like, get off your phone. No, you know, we're, we're, we need a break. You just, but if we're not helping them, if we're not bridging or scaffolding or helping them build tools, I love it. Yeah, I love it. Right? It's, they're just going to almost go through a, a awful withdrawal and irritability and stress and anxiety, and then the whole thing blows, right? I, I just love what you said, and it ties in with what you said in the very beginning, too, right? Developing that awareness so that they have a good, happy life. Mm-hmm. So how have you found, you know, like, so, like, if you don't mind using your great example, like, how do you unwind this thing, and and how do we help our kids become aware of these triggers within them? You know, I had a, a, an interesting experience with my daughter. Uh, this is just uh, just recently. Uh, I was, you know, I'm mindful now of what's going on here. And she, mm-hmm. I came into her room. Uh, she's been having trouble going to sleep. And uh, she, she's 13. And she was playing one of these stupid games on her phone. So what I did was um, I explained it all to her. I explained the dopamine. I told her how it worked. And I got exactly the response you'd expect from a 13-year-old. And that was... <laughs> <laughs> and, and and trust me, um, yeah. she, she said to me the next morning, so you know how hard it is to have a brain doctor for your father? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but um, I noticed that the very next night, uh, she had turned off the phone and was reading. And guess what? Went to sleep with the book in her hands. And since that point, uh, she has in fact been reading every night and going to sleep properly. So sometimes, you know, we get so impatient, you know, like in the moment, we want to have that change. But if you, if you tell them exactly what's going on, and maybe you're going to have to say no, maybe you're going to have to reinforce it, but explaining why, not just being, you know, authoritarian about it, but actually explaining what's going on here, um, it will take. And I really believe that. And, uh, yeah, I th- you know, in, in our field, we call it psychoeducation, right? And we found yeah. that... Yeah. Um, sometimes we get really fancy in our counseling and therapy lives, but actually giving kids who have good brains the right information, they can run with it just by giving yeah. them that, that, those tools. So could you, I think it'd be really helpful for the listeners if you could just in a nutshell say how you, how you explain this dopamine response that made an impact for her. Like how would you suggest parents say it to their kids? So... If you ask a kid that's doing any one of these things, any one of these activities, whatever it is, why they're doing it, they will give you the following answer. Ah, because it's so much fun. But in fact, it's not fun. Um, Mm -hmm. And what happens is when they finally, you know, you get them off, every parent's got the same thing. The kid is crabby. The kid is anxious, withdrawn, whatever. So what we do is we explain to the child or the teen, whoever, the difference between wanting and liking. Dopamine makes us want. It's the source of craving. That's what its job is. 
liking is when something feels good, like, you know, it, I don't know, it gives you a burst of energy, whatever. Mm-hmm. So what's happening with these kids is they are being driven by that neurochemical that makes them crave, that makes them want. The problem is, is that when dopamine runs the show, you can never satisfy it. There's no such thing as, as filling up, you know, satisfying this craving. Because then what happens is, as soon as you say master a level in a game, well, then the game guys, they hit you with the next level. You've got to get even more points or whatever. It just goes on and on. And dopamine is running this show. One of the things that we've seen with kids is all ages. They don't like to be manipulated. They don't like to feel that somebody is, is tricking them into behaving the way they're doing. They don't like it mm-hmm. when we explain to them that we can actually create, that, that these guys have figured out how to create these cravings. So we don't just explain to them that dopamine is the source of, of wanting, of craving, but that people can sort of, they can plant these desires, strong desires in them. And, and trust me, if you've looked, Dan, if you've looked at any of these games, they are beyond absurd, right? They, they, oh, right. The best one is, is there's this guy called Ian Bogost. Bogost is a really good guy, a really smart guy. And he invented a game to show how stupid it all is called Cow Clicker. Have you heard about this? I have heard about it. I have not played, okay. and maybe I need to stay away from it because I'll get hooked. But yeah. Oh, no, there's been an apocalypse. He called it the Cowpocalypse, where all of the cows hmm. disappeared in the rapture. Um, the point of the game was you just collected points by clicking on a cow, a stupid-looking cow. And he did it as a satire uh, to show people that the games are about nothing. And guess what? The game went nuts. It went viral. Um, huh. So it, ba- it backfired on him. But all these games, ultimately, what we're trying to do with our child is not simply say, you know, no, you can't do this. What we want to do is we want to replace these kind of negative habits that are dopamine-driven with positive habits that are dopamine-driven. What are the positive ones? Well, helping others, uh, doing sports, learning how to play a musical instrument. All of those are also dopamine-driven. So we want our parents and teachers to think it's not a case of of stopping this phenomenon. It's replacing what's a negative thing Mm. with something that's incredibly constructive for their well-being. I like that. And I and I so I love the exo folks at home. This idea that Dr. Stewart's saying is explaining the difference between wanting and liking, and how dopamine is produced by design by these different ads, games, apps, in order to create yeah. a craving where it has control of you instead of yeah. you in control of it. And I oh, also love what you said. Right, I love the. Uh, they're manipulating you, right? Yep. So they don't because if going back in the day, I was also thinking as you were talking when kids were taught that smoking ads were put yeah, strategically right. in supermarkets and Seven Elevens right. convenience stores, low to manipulate them. That was yep. powerful. Kids were like, "I'm not falling for that," and this is exactly what you're talking about. Did you ever hear of a book called "Join the Club" by Tina Rosenberg? No. That's a great book. So what she wanted to look at was the smoke, anti-smoking campaign in kids has been tremendously successful. So they mm-hmm. tried everything. They tried scaring them. They tried graphic images. None of it worked. 
until they told them the truth. And then they stopped. <laughs> huh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it doesn't have to be uh, fancy, does it? No, no. So something, this is going to get a little going on the technology um, stream here, but I, I, I think it, it definitely fits. And I was wondering how much, so we know how much this um, impacts regulation with the craving and the dopamine. So I wonder if you have any ideas about this. I saw a TED talk by a guy that was talking about the way the technology has gone with Facebook, uh, Netflix, all of this stuff is there's no more, and there's a term for it that I'm not remembering, but there's no more basically stopgap, right? So we would have newspapers, you have to turn a page, magazine, you have to turn a page. Uh, our TV shows had commercials, we'd have to wait a week to get the next episode. Um, now the scrolling features are designed so there's never an end. And I, and as, and I was thinking this is that, constant dopamine sucking craving because you're never done right yeah yeah um i'd love to know who so, the guy was yeah that sounds great <laughs> i'll find that yeah, i'll find I mean, that it was it was uh bro it was brilliant because all right let me add one thing and so the co- companies that he looked at and a lot of them were in uh the netherlands right where they do a lot of healthy things out there is the they showed he showed a picture where at six o'clock or five o'clock whenever this company's uh uh, the time was done for the day to be over. The desk actually go up to the ceiling so no one can work. So they they, they were actually oh building goodness. in oh stops. And the other thing, which is this, is I tried to adopt this a version of this myself because I have this thing called inbox itis with emails uh, that I have written yeah. about. Which is it's at this company in order to create the stop and mental health for their. Um, their folks, the the email message and the voice message would say, so-and-so's out of the office for X amount of time. Any message you leave will basically disintegrate. So they're not going to get it anyway. So please get back to them when they return. So people wouldn't come back to full uh, inboxes and voicemails. Well, this is fabulous. And we have to start doing it with our kids, right? Um, we're raising a generation. Um, there's this one line I was reading recently in a a very good book by Sharon Begley uh, called Compulsion. And the point she makes is we're raising a generation that cannot tolerate um, waiting, that cannot tolerate being in their own mind, that they, it's a form of escapism, and um, the escape itself becomes the reward. Hmm. So, you know, we, one of the things that we did with our kids is, uh, I don't think I mentioned this to you before, but I live on an island. And um, we are sort of a bird paradise. And so I made a point of teaching the kids all the calls and all the, and all the, um, um, you know, the different uh, plumages, et cetera. And the point is, is that whenever I feel uh, a need for a break, I'll either point to a really cool bird that's out there, or sometimes I'll be a little tricky and I'll say, was that an eagle I just saw? And get them off the machine, go out and look for the bloody bird, even though I made it up. Brilliant. <laughs> the point is, you know, but but um, I worry that um, I worry that what we're really creating is a generation that's hooked on dopamine, and um, mm-hmm. and because of that need for it, the craving becomes for dopamine itself, and that they are not developing the capacity to enjoy peace, quiet. Mm. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah. I mean, this is we're in, we're in uncharted waters when it comes to that. I mean, we've all we've had lots of yeah, in our um, culture, we've had lots of dopamine um, producing um, stimuli, but now it's in everyone's hands. Uh, you know, theoretically twenty four seven. As I was learning more, yep, I think this yep, dovetails yep, nicely yep. with your work been doing more working and talking on uh, resilience. And part of what was coming up in the new and age of teaching our kids to be resilient is they have to, this totally dovetails with what you were saying, they have to know about the impact of social media and technology on their lives, just like they do alcohol, drugs, and anything else that has the potential to become a obsessive, compulsive, slash addictive force in their lives. So, Dan, I... I mean, the reason I wanted to do the show with you today is that's exactly why. And I hope all your parents, you know, really are processing what you just said. This is serious stuff. One of the things that we've learned is that if the kid's going around in this chronic state of, you know, really low level or or worse anxiety, it impacts everything. It impacts Mm -hmm. their ability to pay attention, to learn, to form friendships. So this is serious stuff, and it's even more serious today, right? Um, mm-hmm. What we are seeing in our work in, the, in our self initiative in Canada is a generation that have what's called a kindled, uh, um, a kindled alarm. And what it means is that there's a system deep inside the brain that, you know, I explain in the book, that this system is constantly looking for danger, constantly looking for threats. And Mm -hmm. it's not something you can turn off by willpower. It's not something you only turn it off by feeling safe. And what's extraordinary is that so many of the experiences you just described are putting our children in this state. It's called neuroceptive hyperdrive. Um, And what it means is is that their, their limbic system, their deep part of their brain, is looking for danger and finding it even when none exists. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so all of us, our parents are, you know, doing the best we can in this world that can be a little overwhelming. So we like to keep things as simple as possible. What <laughs> is one thing you would recommend to help kids, to help for parents to help their kids with this phenomenon of constant craving? You know, the last time I was on your show, you made me tell you uh uh, a personal moment <laughs> that was... So oh, yeah, that, that's right after this one. You Are you going to loop them all together? Can I yeah. loop it together? Okay. You can loop it well, together. You could do, yes, both of them. The okay. parent. So uh, let me just set that one up for if, in case we have any new listeners, folks. Okay, go so ahead. So the parent footprint moment with, with Dr. Stewart is talking about is, is, is the basis of what we stand for, parent footprint, and that is becoming aware. So the parent footprint moment question is being aware of a time... When you, when you became aware of something about yourself as an individual or as a parent, and that awareness had a positive impact on your child. All right, now you're totally set up for not only that question, but also <laughs> giving us the gem and jewel about what we could do as parents. So, so my parenting footprint moment for you today was going, looping back to the story that we started with. Um, mm-hmm. I couldn't get this. I couldn't get the story of the shoes out of my mind, and really, you know, what I was really thinking about was 
why I said to him that I would give it to him for Christmas. And this is actually worse than it sounds because I had chosen the greatest. Um, my, my son is a fabulous skier. And I was going to buy mm-hmm. him a GoPro for skiing so he could take pictures of himself doing tricks and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. now I'd blown the budget on the stupid shoes and I couldn't get what I really wanted him to. And I realized that as a parent, it's real hard for me to say no. And that, in fact, I was harming my, my son by not saying no. I should have said no for him. Not, and so mm-hmm. what I had to learn was that, that, you know, for all the stuff that you and I have talked about today and the last time, uh, we do have to set limits. If we don't, then this is creating a stress on them. And we can rationalize as much as we want. It turns out here I am, self-reg guru, and I'm as good a rationalizer, <laughs> if not better, than any of your listeners. <laughs> yep, but yep. that was my moment. That is a great moment. And, and you just, and you totally nailed it, too, because I, I, it sounds like one of the best things we can do in this um, constant craving dopamine surging age is set limits for our kids with this stuff yes. when they need our help to do so. Yes. And listen to Dr. Dan, for God's sake. <laughs> I'm learning from you. I, you know, this is what I love. This is why I love talking to you is that, um, and I share this, is as a parent doing this work, we are humbled by, uh, we, we're, we're in the trenches with all the parents we're working with. And it is, this is, yeah, a, it's, a, it's a hard job being, I say it's a hard job being a parent. It's a really hard job trying to be a good parent. <laughs> it's really yeah. hard. Yeah, it's really hard. Keep it up, Dan. You too, Stuart. Okay, guys. I wish we could okay. keep talking. I'll talk to you next year, Dan. You're, you're, you're going to talk to me before next year. Okay. okay. This is, um, but, yeah. but first, before you go, please tell yeah. um, everyone where they can continue to find not only, I mean, obviously your book, but also you're producing a lot of great resor- uh, research and resources um, that people can really be benefiting from. Yeah, we have a number of kind of generous uh, benefactors so that we can make as much stuff as we can free to parents. So they can download the stuff at www.self-reg.ca, selfreg.ca. Check that out, you guys. Um, This was a absolutely great show in terms of content and, of course, guest, Constant Craving, The Self-Reg View, Everyone, I think we just need to continue to think about self-regulation, our own and our kids, as the kingpin of creating this balanced and healthy and successful life the way you define it. Thanks for listening. Continue to try to be the person you want your child to become, model for them how to be. Continue to work on yourself. Don't be afraid to become aware Show them how to do it. Show them how to be vulnerable. Show them that growing is a lifelong process. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. Check out our Parent Footprint Awareness Training, which is all about increasing this awareness and parenting with purpose and intention. And as always, remember to ask yourself, what footprint do you want to leave?